It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Mike Tobin, senior correspondent, welcome. Hey, buddy. Mike's in Minneapolis watching this trial, and so our listeners are aware, we are speaking around noon on Thursday, day four of this trial. So many fascinating elements, Mike. We'll try and get through as many as we can and sort of peel back the layers of this trial as you have watched it up close. It's a COVID trial. They have cameras in the courtroom that defy state law. But the judge said because of the pandemic, we want to open it up in this way, which I think has been very interesting because we can see what's happening inside the courtroom. And also in this case, we can see the incident on camera. And there are several views of that. How do you believe the incident with George Floyd, which resulted in his death, has played. It, it, it's very interesting because uh, something I've been covering trials, uh, gosh, since 1989. And uh, one thing I've never seen is a murder trial in which there is this abundance of video of the incident itself. Usually with a murder case, you have a, a body and then they piece together the forensic evidence. Well, you have the incident itself from a number of different angles here. So they're really arguing uh was it justified? We all know that George Floyd died in the custody of the Minneapolis police with Derek Chauvin's, or at least he lost consciousness with Derek Chauvin's knee on his neck. That's not in question. It's was it justified? Was the technique proper? Um, that's really what they're uh, going to have to get at. So they've gone over the video time and time again. Um, it was pretty interesting this morning because they brought George Floyd's girlfriend into the courtroom for testimony today. And a lot of it started to take on the frame of what you normally see with with victim uh, impact statements at the end of the trial. She talked about her relationship with George Floyd, the things they like to do together. But then they got into uh, drug use, the fact that both of them were hooked on opiates. And we got a glimmer as to where the prosecution is going to go with this uh, from opening arguments, because we know through the Hennepin County Medical Examiner, that there was fentanyl in George Floyd's system. According to uh, the medical examiner's report, 11 nanograms per milliliter enough that if George Floyd had been found dead alone in his house and no other possible causes, it would have been reasonable to call that an overdose. However, when I talked to uh, an outside uh, forensic pathologist, very well-known guy, Cyril, uh, Cyril Wecht, uh, he says, when you look at the other extraneous factors, uh, this uh, the argument of the overdose is not going to fly, primarily because when you have someone who has an overdose on uh, opioids like fentanyl, uh, I mean, the same stuff that killed Prince, um, what happens generally is they slump over and they just stop moving and, and acting and go to sleep and never, and, and never wake up again. What you saw very clearly on the uh, videotape is someone who was in a, in a panic, who was thrashing about and fighting until he couldn't fight anymore. So what could that mean? It, it means it's going to be tough for the defense to create doubt. Mm. 
And uh, what they're they're going to they're going to want to create some doubt. They're going to introduce the evidence uh, as they've made clear that he had some medical problems. Uh, he had an uh, expanded heart. He had blockage in his arteries, and he had uh, this fentanyl in his system. And we all know about fentanyl now, and it's very very potent, mm-hmm. very deadly. Uh, but as they try to make that argument, um, it's going to be something that the prosecution is going to be able to counter. Yeah. One de- and, uh, one, then beyond one, that, we've heard from yeah, – go ahead. One development uh, that happened today is there was another individual in the car with George Floyd, correct? I, I, I believe two, right. in fact. And one is a gentleman who has said that he will take the fifth. Which means he will. And that's not. Maurice Hall. Yeah, and why? Why would he want to take the Fifth Amendment? Well, as we got with the uh, uh, testimony from the girlfriend today, Maurice Hall was their drug dealer. That's who George Floyd and uh, Courtney Ross went to to get their opiates. So he has taken the fifth because it looks like he could get in trouble for his participation in this. And why this hurts particularly the defense is that he was expected to, and I get this from the uh, uh, opening arguments from the defense, um, he was expected to say that George Floyd swallowed pills when the police were approaching in order to hide those pills from the police. And that gets to that argument about whether George Floyd died of an overdose or George Floyd died of mm. a knee on his neck. Let me come back to that in a moment here, Mike. You mentioned the video. And it's, it's not just right. the bystanders who are standing there with iPhones or the video camera from across the street. It's also body cam video. On behalf of the officers, right. so there's there's this images all over the place of this incident, and I believe it was yesterday there was body cam video that Derek Chauvin was wearing that fell right. off and captured audio as it was sitting there on the pavement, and toward the end of the video when Floyd was taken away, Chauvin is heard saying. You know, that's one person's opinion. We had to control this guy because he's a sizable guy. It looks like he's probably on something. Is that the only time we have heard from Chauvin to date? Well, you heard a bit from uh, Chauvin when he was having conversations with uh, the other officer, Thomas Lane, uh, saying pretty much, I'm going to do what I'm doing. Thomas Lane uh, had suggested a couple times, should we roll him over? Should we... uh, I think he said, uh, should we roll over? Should we check his pulse? Um, I don't have that verbatim. Um, but he say, he suggested doing something else to care for George Floyd. And you heard uh, Derek Chauvin say, no, I got this. Essentially, mm. I'm not quoting directly, but essentially saying, I've got it. I'm in control. Uh, and the part you're talking about is when Derek Chauvin was speaking with Charles McMillan. Uh, that was the guy who wept on the stand yesterday. He was a, uh, a bystander who injected himself uh, into the situation, telling George Floyd to stop fighting, telling him that he can't win. But you talk about the um, about the video camera, uh, the different angles and the multiple uh, body cameras. I think that uh, uh, Derek Chauvin's body cam uh, shows the least of the four different body camera videos because his dropped to the ground. Uh, what we see from some of the other officers, uh, what's going to be very interesting when you get into the defense, is what they did. They took George Floyd from over by the uh, the Dragon Walk restaurant. Uh, they set him down over there because George Floyd was clearly in a panic. Uh, they walked him across uh, uh, across the street in front of Cup Foods again and tried to put him back in the uh, police SUV. They tried to put him in on the driver's side of the SUV. And George Floyd is clearly in a panic at that point. 
Uh, and that's the first time he says, I can't breathe. He says that long before he's on the ground. And that's going to be an interesting point. But then you also see that the police, they force him in the back seat. George Floyd is, is bigger and stronger than these guys. And he fights his way through the SUV. And that's why when you ultimately see the video that we're all familiar with, he is on the passenger side of the SUV and down on the street. He hmm. fought his way through the SUV and they pulled him out and put him on the ground. Hmm. 14 jurors, right? Alternates. Eight of them are white. Six of them are right. black or multiracial. Twelve deliberate. The judge has not said which two will be alternates. Do, do you have any sense for how this is playing before them in the courtroom? Well, that's tough. For, for all the years I've been covering trials, all the reporters uh, love to speculate as far as what the jury is thinking and how they're analyzing the evidence. And it's, I can't remember a time when the reporters speculating on that were right. Yeah. But uh, one thing we do know about the jury here is they, um, they know of this incident and they know what happened in Minneapolis. So with the, old, the, the idea that justice is blind... Um, it's going to be tough because they will know the impact of the decision that they make. Uh, you saw during the voir dire process uh, that the jurors said they can render an objective decision, but they will still know the magnitude of their decision uh, and what it could mean for the city of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you know, the world. Yeah, there are COVID protocols, as I mentioned at the top of our conversation here. How many people are in the courtroom? Are there a lot of reporters or are there family members? No, the, 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 the media is in a separate room. There is one family member who is allowed in uh, every day, and they rotate out. So you've had different member, uh, members of George Floyd's family in there. Um, and I remember speaking with the sister of, uh, of uh, George Floyd during open arguments, and they, uh, uh, when the defense started to get into uh, his drug use, she got up and walked out. So it is uh, at times emotional with the family members who are in the courtroom. I'm guessing there can't be 20 people in there, right? You have 14 jurors, you have a judge, you have attorneys on both sides, and you have the defendant. You know, I didn't do a head count, but I'd ballpark it right around 20. Yeah. By the time you have that, because you got the legal teams as well. The state seems to have more uh, of a legal team present, and there have been some articles written to the effect that it looks like the defense is outnumbered, but the uh, police union have... uh, uh, made sure that uh, Eric Nelson has a lot of support. Mm-hmm. You see two people on the on the part of the defense, but it doesn't mean they're outnumbered. Yeah. Even it looks that way. Uh, there's a lot to get to. You're listening to Mike Tobin, who's on the case, the Derek Chauvin case in Minneapolis, and our conversation continues in a moment. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well. Let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? 
from finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience. Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Back with Mike Tobin, longtime colleague, and Mike, terrific work up there. Uh, I imagine we go for a few more weeks. Is that safe? Yeah, well, they ballparked it at uh, at four weeks right at the start of this trial. So we're going to hear from a lot of witnesses um, before this goes over and uh, before this uh, before this wraps up. And the one thing you always have to keep in mind when you're watching a trial, it's like a baseball team when one team uh, or baseball game in which one team gets to bat for nine innings and then the other team gets up. So it always looks like the prosecution uh, has got it nailed in the first part of the trial. And as as we're looking at the evidence, particularly the video evidence, um, nothing is more compelling than the uh, the bystander video um, uh, that was played out again in front of the jury. Uh, when you look at that evidence, it, 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 it's, it's hard to imagine at this point that they uh, uh, wouldn't get a conviction. But you have to try to keep in mind where the defense is probably going to go and uh, and keep in mind the fact all they have to do is create doubt. Yeah. Derek Chauvin, we don't know if he'll take the stand and defend himself. He might. He may not. But in a nutshell, the prosecuting attorney, Jerry Blackwell, toward the opening of the trial, he said, you can believe your eyes that it's a homicide. You can believe your eyes. He repeated it. The defense attorney, Eric Nelson and others, they're going to argue it's a lot more complicated than that. I just want to take a a 30,000 feet view of this now based on what you have heard from the prosecution's case. What do you believe has been perhaps the most effective angle after four days of testimony? Well, nothing has been more effective than the video uh, that we all saw and were horrified by. Uh, In fact, to watch that one more time, and it had been a while since I saw the video, and I don't know that many people who go back and and rewatch it, but to see it again and see the duration of, uh, uh, with which Derek Chauvin has his knee on the neck of George Floyd, particularly, you know, you talk about the eight minutes, 40 seconds or uh, nine minutes. It, you know, people are debating about the, the length of time on that. But there's two minutes and 30 seconds when George Floyd isn't moving anymore. And that is probably the most compelling uh, piece of evidence that there is. And, and you've got Derek Chauvin, uh, who has a very cavalier appearance, uh, complete with his uh, sunglasses on his head and his hand in his pocket. Um, that's hard to get around, and it's hard to imagine that the jury is not going to want to get him with something because he just seems so indifferent uh, to the life that is under his knee uh, when you look at that video. And that's why that third-degree murder charge uh, is is very important. If you remember, the third-degree murder charge was entered um, late into this process. Uh, it came in, actually, as they're getting into the uh, jury selection process. Uh, it had originally been uh, struck by uh, Judge Peter Cahill. And then went through an appeals process and they forced him to reconsider it. So he allowed the third degree murder charge in. And uh, third degree essentially is uh, if you do something uh, reckless and sloppy uh, that causes someone's death. Uh, oftentimes drug dealers will get the third degree murder charge if they're uh, distributing something out to the public and that causes people to die. Uh, they'll get the, uh, the drug dealer. If you shoot your gun in the air in celebration and the bullet comes down and hits someone... That's a good third-degree murder case. Mm. So uh, initially, the defense made the, made the case that third-degree didn't apply because all of the energy was focused on George Floyd, and it wasn't a case where the general public was in danger. 
But uh, the third degree charge is now back there, uh, in addition to second degree manslaughter and second degree murder. Yeah, D- just reading this now, charged with three counts or, or three different charges. Unintentional yeah. second degree, third degree murder, and manslaughter. The most serious second degree murder count carries up to 40 years in prison. Um, and um, I had mentioned earlier, it's the first trial ever televised in Minnesota, which is kind of interesting, too, with the community, because they've been so caught up in this thing. I, I, you're walking down the street, you're getting in and out of your hotel. What are people telling you? Well, you do still have that, uh, the fact that Minneapolis is, uh, is locked down. It's, it's kind of a ghost town now. Uh, you see the boards going up. Uh, you, you, frankly, what people are thinking, you see more of that on social media. And uh, the one thing you're not going to uh, escape in this case is that it's viewed through the prism of racial tensions. And uh, you saw one of the witnesses who came up, uh, Donald Williams. He was the wrestler. And uh, if you remember the original video, you'll hear him quite a bit uh, calling Derek Chauvin a bum. You a bum, bro, he says over and over again as Derek Chauvin has has got the knee on his neck. Um, He was very interesting testimony. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, But what you saw with the defense is that he got angry. And the defense was trying to prove that he was angry at the scene. And uh, I'm not sure where they were going with that other than try to say that his judgment may have been uh, uh, altered because of his heightened state of emotion. But what you saw on social media is it whipped around really quickly to the argument uh, that uh, Donald Williams was being painted as the angry black man. So when you get to the discussion of this case, everything is going to just gravitate toward um, uh, discussion about uh, the tensions of race in America. Mm-hmm. As far as discussions with business owners out here and, and whatnot, they don't want to stop and get something to eat. Uh, everyone is nervous. I think they're very sympathetic to the cause. It's mostly what I hear from people, but they're nervous. They, they want their businesses. They don't want the windows busted out and they want to get looted one more time. Mm-hmm. Come back to the point I was making a moment ago about the defense. This is more complicated than it appears as you watch the video. How do you expect them to go after that argument? Boy, they have just, they've got to bring in their own experts who are going to testify that it was the fentanyl that killed George Floyd. And, um, and some of what we got today was the fact that he was a frequent user of, of opiates. So uh, when we saw from the medical examiner's report uh, the statement that it could have been enough to kill someone, they're going to argue that George Floyd is big and that George Floyd had built up a tolerance because he'd been using opiates for a long time, and therefore it wasn't enough to kill him. But uh, that's uh, how they're going to go after him. Answer your question: You bring in the experts, and you mm-hmm. tell them that uh, uh, that that was enough to kill him, well. and uh, and create some doubt with uh, the fact that uh, that it was Derek Chauvin's knee that killed George Floyd. Mm. So we can anticipate the prosecution to continue with its case for at least two more weeks. Would you say, or or beyond that, Mike? You know, they haven't distributed a witness list, but it has been my experience that the prosecution usually goes a bit longer because it's their burden to lay out the case. It's their burden to prove uh, that this happened. And so it's a little bit of an easier job for the defense then to try to punch holes in in what the prosecution laid out. So uh, if I'm going to speculate, uh, ballpark it at two and a half, three weeks for mm-hmm. the prosecution. And then, uh, then we'll wrap in around four weeks. What'll be interesting, Mike, is during that time, I'm going to bring you back, and we're going to reflect on some of the thoughts that we shared today and see how this trial unfolds. Um, you're very right in the way you lay that out. 
about waiting for how the defense counters. And then we'll see yeah. how a jury decides. But the eyes of the country are watching this, and it's great to have you on scene to, to bring it to our viewers and our listeners today. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, pal. I appreciate it. And I'm a big fan of your podcast, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, You're gracious. Good to have you today. Mike Tobin, senior correspondent, Fox News in Minneapolis. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.